Welcome back to the Shed Voice. It is still even another episode. To our listeners, this is way later. They've forgotten all about what happened last time. But for us, it's still June 15th. We're still happy to be in the Shed. We've got a whole different array of stuff we're going to cover in this, this episode. This is not our usual thing. We actually have a plan for this episode. Did you know we're the 12th fastest growing urban center in North America? Vancouver? Yes. I believe it. I don't know why. Well, maybe with Hong Kong going on, maybe that's going to be a big bump. Yeah, that wouldn't have changed yet, though. No. I mean, that could, oh, you that think? could change. Oh, yeah, no. I think if there's anybody in Hong Kong who has the ability to come here and was sort of anywhere near the fence on it, you know, mm. like, oh, maybe I will, but maybe I won't. I would have thought that goings on there would have really encouraged a big chunk of those mm. people to just go, because it's all going one way, right? Hey, I know 12th. we got to get to Studio 58, <laughs> want to get to Studio 58. Looking forward to it. Can't wait, actually. But I still want to bring up one more thing beforehand. <laughs> so for our Alice Cooper fans in the audience, or people who may or may not be a fan of, but are quite interested in Lou Reed Berlin, fantastic interview of Bob Ezrin, available from the Bob Left Sets podcast. Left Sets is spelled L-E-F-S-E-T-Z. Bob Ezrin was a producer of Alice Cooper stuff. He was the producer for the big stuff, like uh, starting back in the early Alice Cooper days, uh, Under My Wheels, 19 was the first hit. This podcast, part one, a two-part interview, it ends on Alice Cooper School's Out. Great, great detail on how those hits were formed and produced and right down to who did the riff on School's Out, you know, and, and where did it come from and great detail on the recording of Lou Reed Berlin. How did they get the kids to cry? Which is, of course, is oh, a, that's a hot topic. That's an yeah. urban kind yeah, of, yeah. you know, that Bob Ezrin put the kids in a closet yeah, and there's... made them call for their mother. <laughs> um, which he, you know, he says, "Listen, look, this is how it really happened." Just so you know, right? Uh, great detail on the whole thing. Fantastic podcast. So, if you're interested in early Alice Cooper and Lou Reed Berlin, listen to that. Seek out the Bob Ezrin Part One interview. And it's on whose podcast again? Bob Lefsetz podcast. Troublesome that there's I mean, two you could just, Bob Lefsetz. Yeah, you could just Google for Bob Ezrin part okay. one interview podcast and that'll that'll get you there. Nice. Very nice, actually. KJ and PJ have stepped away for biologic functions and uh, I'm just going to talk on and on about nothing whatsoever. So first, like I'd open by saying nothing whatsoever. And what is a clap back anyway? Really? Do we have to learn all these new terms? The new terms are just flying at us. Clap back. Oh, yeah. I, I just don't, I can't keep up with them all. No, I can't either. Excuse me, but this is my monologue. <laughs> yeah, that's your monologue. That's all that's <laughs> going to make it. We just decided to keep the tape rolling because we know how much you I do hate I, stitching. I hate stitching. And uh, and like, so Moby yeah. walked away, so I decided to monologue, and it was just really boring. Oh, awesome. You know what I was going to talk about? Those, the themes for Hercules. Oh, my God. It just jammed in my head for the whole rest of the week. Every morning I'm going to try a but. For anybody who cares, the Hercules theme reminded me very strongly of Johnny Mathis. And I thought to myself, is there any chance that Johnny Mathis was down in his luck in 1966 and recorded this? Answer no, Johnny Nash. And Johnny Nash is a familiar name, but I haven't gone back to find out what all he did. But yeah, Johnny Nash. Because listening to those, it threw me right back there because oh. I watched both of those quite a lot. What was fun to me in that recording is, so listeners, when we do those things, of course, we stick in the real music after we've left the shed and it's days or weeks later when I'm editing. But you'll hear Moby at one point say, oh, the explosions, and he makes the noise. And I stuck the theme music in immediately before he says that because they're right there. And he does a really uh, pretty reasonable imitation of the noises from like a 50-year-old memory, which I thought was very fun. 
yeah. and seeing them. I forgot that it, they were astronauts with yeah. jetpacks, right? Well, Rocket and Robin Hood. and Robin Hood really does look like a pedo. He just, he just, <laughs> he looks bad. There's something really sketchy about the way he looks. <laughs> it's funny though. You wonder why we do this podcast? Because we get to do stuff like that, where you go back and find that stuff. You just think, oh my God. Well, I can tell a little story while you guys are munching away. Okay. I had an audition, and Lucy bought a circle light to the tune of about 180 bucks, and it, it's still up, and you, it's a circle light like this, and your phone goes right in the center of it, and it's on a big tripod, so you just all you need is a backdrop, and it's the light and everything, so it looks pretty cool, right? really brings out your eyes, because there's just too much light in there, natural light just sitting in there. So I do an audition, and it's for a CBC series shooting in Halifax, and it's sort of like, it's almost like Schitt's Creek at um, Silver Birch. It's in a trailer park on the beach in uh, Nova Scotia someplace. So I audition, and it's for one of the leads, and he's a old hippie, David Crosby is the name they mention. I thought, oh, well. <clears throat> and about <clears throat> a week li- later, I get a call back, a Zoom call back of all things. Did you use the light for the Zoom call back? Did I ever? Had a boy. Had a boy. Good go. Well, because they're they want to because you're going to do the you're going to do the scenes again, right? They sent me an extra scene. I'll do the first scene. And and of course they want they want it to look like your like if you go into a room for an audition, they got the camera set up and a nice background and lights and microphone and everything, right? They they don't want to see you sitting at your computer with your bookshelf behind you, you know, like everybody else on Zoom is. Anyway, so I oh had my to... God, suddenly I'm all self-conscious. <laughs> but I, uh, so I figured out Zoom, first of all. So me and Lucy, she was just right here and she just did it on her phone just to make sure that what I looked like and what just, because they say how they're going to do it. You'll get a call at, you know, it was like two o'clock on Friday or something. And you get a call from somebody and he'll have you standing by before, you know, because they're obviously doing a series of auditions. Well, what I find fun about this is you were in part being evaluated on your ability to use Zoom. Uh, Perhaps. Because you look good because you have this circle light in the backdrop in your house, as opposed to a bookshelf or a bicycle. Oh, no, actually. Look at that. There's what he's going to look like. Yeah, actually, it was my iMac set up on a table at standing height. So I got it up on this, oh, this home. I got pictures of that too. But I also used the circle light just sort of off in the, which helped immensely, actually. That is quite interesting. So anyway, so I get on there and I'm thinking that I'm going to see the squares of heads Mm -hmm. of people who are watching me and I'm going to be one of those heads, but that's not how it works. It's just me and there's, Four little panels at the top, which is these guys, the writer, the director, uh, the reader, and then the guy who was sort of the casting assistant who was like in the waiting room, although there wasn't a waiting room. Everybody's on Zoom in their own little places, whether they're in Halifax or Toronto or I don't know where they are. And I've worked with this director before. So I, we just, I do the first scene. We make adjustments, I do it again, I do the second scene, we make adjustments, I do it again, and then and then it's it's over. It's it's like it there's no difference like there just because you're zooming, it's still um you know, like their time. It's they're not gonna sit and chit chat about the virus and the whatever, right? They're, so it was all anyway, that I did that. I had that little experience. That's fantastic. And so you're still going to be awaiting whether you get a third callback or a confirmation. I suppose. I'm I, I'm not yeah. Not it's not. The original dates were July to September, but then they in the original audition they said well we're we're gonna just availability check to November. So if they can't start up at the end of July, they'll start up maybe at the end of September, you know, depending on how the pandemic winds its way through. Yeah, of course, these are acting auditions. Now, you got, <laughs> you got your training at Studio 58, did you not? Attaboy. Oh, too fun. There's just so much fun that happens in this <laughs> shed. It's just never ending. <laughs> Anyway, let's do Studio 58. 
Just going to give our listeners a little bit of background for those that don't know. The three of us doggies here all used to live together in a place at Payne and Wellington in uh, Vancouver, uh, pretty close to where the current uh, Rupert Station is, Joyce, Joyce, Joyce Station. And so at the time, I believe that all three of us were doing our career training, fair to say. So KJ was going out to Langara, the program called Studio 58 at Langara. Yep. PJ and I were uh, overlapping by one year anyway at BCIT. And uh, we were all there living and loving in the Right, in the and fabulous. so you guys actually know a lot more about Studio 58 than... Most would right because in theory, although the 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 years kind of dull on a lot of the details. Well, I also, remember stuff where there's a photographic evidence, like uh, PJ helping you learn your lines for a show. Uh, there's a photo of you guys doing that oh, on really? the on the back porch uh, and the stoop on the back back really stoop. And so I go, yeah. So PJ's helping KJ learn his lines. But that's only because there's a photo. So a lot of a lot of the details are lost in time. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I remember the shows. Some of the shows we went and saw while you were there. But uh, right, yeah. right. Well, uh, so I thought I'd start with why I even wanted to go into acting in the first place. I think that's a great start because I've often wondered that. Well, because it's such a okay. Let me. <clears throat> this is about you. This is the you segment. But I'm just going to say my personal security needs for food and shelter <laughs> fully rule out ever going to be an actor. And I don't know about you, RJ, but I never, ever could have handled, and I never could have, first of all, gotten up in front of a bunch of people and acted. That's never was going to be in my wheelhouse at all. And then subsequently discovering what a rickety living it provides for 90% of everybody who gets into it. I just, I do wonder what on earth ever made you want to do that. Well, it's funny that I think of that right now is that that period of time sort of after high school, like I'm not, I guess you have dreams that you're going to make money, but I sort of thought, well, I'm probably going to be a professional laborer all my life because I'm well, I was, I was fairly decent at that. Yeah, know? I was fully going down that track until if worse comes to worse. Well, again, this is—I have a story there too. But but this, this is you. this is seventy nine to eighty one that kind of time range, and by then we're already getting along in life a little bit. Yeah, and so for for myself, I'm with PJ. I'm going okay. I, I need to make a living. I did the labor bit for a while, and I'm going okay. That's it. So let me just ask you then. So while you're about to go to Studio 58, you are of a mind that, hey, this might work out, but I'm probably going to be a laborer or I may well be a laborer. Well, once I make the decision that I'm going to go to school, I think something else is ahead of me rather than labor, but okay. not that it's going to pay any more than a labor, yeah. <laughs> as we found but out. But you can scrape together a living. Yeah, supposedly. Or so they told me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of interested in that, too. So why did I go along the track of being an actor? I'm trying to, I was trying to think of the earliest things that happened in my life that sort of suggested that I might be interested in that. And what did I write down? Well, one of the first things I remember, because we had neighborhood parades in Warfield, where the neighborhood kids wow. would, like, literally seven kids like, I remember being a clown with a wig, pulling my sister, who was a princess, in a wagon, you know, and somebody would have a wooden sword. And, you know, so that was, I'm trying to think what age. That might have been before elementary school. Probably not. Probably grade one or two. But I do remember, I was in kindergarten, and I went, because Jerry was already in, um, Brother Jerry was already in St. Mike's, and... On St. Patrick's Day, they had this little pageant about St. Patrick, and Jerry was dressed up. I got probably can find a picture of him to accompany this, and I went and saw that, and I don't even remember what it was. I just remember these maybe 10 kids, boys, I think. I was just amazed at the, the pageantry of it or something. I thought, this is the coolest thing, right? Sort of along those same lines, I remember... I don't know if I said this in the Catholicity stuff that I used to pretend to be the priest at home and I would get the piano bench 
It would be my altar. You're kidding. I would get a glass. Jeez, did you get beat up a lot in elementary Chalice? school? No, no, no. Uh, this is on my own. It's all by myself. I think my, my mother's watching from the kitchen going, what the hell is he up to now? I would get a crust of bread and I would break it up into what I thought were little hosts and I'd fill up the chalice and then I would I would do whatever I sort of knew of the mass from the beginning because I probably had... Who was your parishioners there? Nobody. I didn't, not even brothers or sisters because I had some younger ones that could have been. Yeah. <laughs> You're basically imagining. That's right. Yeah. And I would, I would do communion. I would oh. uh, take the hosts out of the chalice and say, I think we said the body of Christ back then, and you know, you put it on somebody's tongue. So I would eat them, and then <laughs> and I would go down the row and pretend. <laughs> and your mom's aware. Wow, yeah. well, that is yeah. pretty nutty, really. I remember um, a Christmas pageant at St. Mike's. The only reason I remember, I think it was St. Mike's, a Christmas pageant, and I was a was a shepherd, one of the shepherds in the. And all I did was put makeup on and have a costume and just walk on. And I don't remember much about that, but I do remember taking the makeup off and they used Vaseline to take it off. And so uh, Mrs. Brown, my grade two teacher, put this Vaseline all over the makeup and then used toilet paper to wipe it off. And I remember having a roll of toilet paper and I, I don't know that I've ever touched a roll of toilet paper like that before, right? like having it in my hand oh, yeah, and using yeah. it. And I wrapped it around my fingers like this, you know, getting, because it's kind of, gech. and I just remember the teacher looking at me while I was doing that. And I got this really weird feeling that she had discovered something about me and toilet paper. And it was, anyway, I, I remember that just a little. <laughs> Next door to us on uh, oh, Scott Street in Warfield, lived the Hall family. I remember we, I got this costume with, that had a cape and a hat and a implement. Maybe it was a sword, but I would put on a Spanish accent. <laughs> I remember this quite well in the basement next door, and there would have been three or four other kids there, and I would pretend to be El Cabong or El Cabong. And I don't know what, uh, it was the shortest little thing, but I would just do this silly little thing and then go around cabonging people on the head while saying El Cabong. And they just yeah. rolled over laughing for afternoons and afternoons. I remember playing. Now that's based on a cartoon character, is it? I think it is. Yeah. I, I don't, I have no. I don't know where, but that El Cabong thing. It's related. It's familiar. For it's sure. related to the, um, uh, the Mountie cartoon. Dudley Do-Right? Dudley Do-Right. There was a, a related cartoon to that, and I believe it was a horse would go, I'm not sure, but they would take a guitar and bang people over the head with it. It was a guitar. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's what I used. Yeah. So oh, I was taking that from something literal then. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I must yeah. find that. <clears throat> or one of my researchers will. Um, so I also started playing piano when I was six years old. So I do remember playing a duet with Donna Nutini on the stage at St. Mike's. And she played the top hand, which was very difficult. She'll be coming around the mountain. Okay. And I played the doom, 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 which was quite easy. And I was, well, I was thrilled that I was got to sit beside her on a... So it was the horse. Can't remember his name. Yeah, because that horse has a name. And the horse had this imaginary world in which he became El Cabong. <laughs> And so, yeah. <laughs> that sounded, we used to, that was a Spanish language version you were playing there. Was it? I, I, I used so. to make oh, that noise too. I would do the, I would try to imitate that sound, I think. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> oh, they laughed. Yeah. <laughs> and then in, um, 65, we moved for half a year to Calgary, and I became part of the boys' choir at the church, St. Anthony Boys' Choir, which was really quite thrilling to me. And we played. That would, would be my first professional gig because the choir was hired to do a commercial for the Bay's 295th birthday, and the choir was brought into a studio 
which this is all, you know, like how old am I? I'm nine years old or something. And we sang, come to the birthday party, 295 years, the celebration at the bay. Maybe it's in an archive someplace, Skinny. So in Warfield, back again, so this is probably in grade five, uh, we would listen to the Beatles. We even made up a little, we were a little band. We got the wigs and did a little, we had a concert once. We charged a penny and we made, <laughs> I think we got four cents for our, and I believe I was Ringo on the pots and pans. But we used to dance to stuff. And I heard, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but much later I heard that, uh, somebody suggested, perhaps my mother or some other mother suggested that I take dance classes. And my father said, no son of mine. <laughs> and I didn't hear that until like, I swear I was in my twenties when I heard that. Really? Yeah. Which, which is very so interesting. Your entire dancing career thwarted yeah, that's by right. a comment that you were never aware of. Yeah. God, I can dance. I want to be a dancer. Then in... Oh, so I come down here in grade 10, summer school with Guppy, and we would get together all the time. We only had two classes, and it was useless, but it got me through grade 10. But I do remember I was staying at a friend of my mom's, billeted, and she was a social worker. And one day, this guy comes in who was sort of a client of hers, and he was probably in his well, I don't know, late 20s, 30s or something, but he was hup, hyped up on something. And he says to me, what do you want? What are you, go- what are you doing with your life? What, what's, what are you going to be? And I, I told him then I wanted to be an actor. So like the real, the thought was, so that's at the end of grade 10. So how old am I there? 15 or 16, right? Yeah. 15, I think mm-hmm. probably. And he says, Okay, what does that mean if you're going to be an actor? He says, uh, well, I, I don't know. And so he started suggesting things. He says, well, okay, so how about you and me? You hop on the back of my motorbike. We drive down to L.A., okay? <laughs> we go into we go into uh, oh an agency or whatever, and this guy's just talking to me. Like, I, I don't even imagine this stuff as far as I want to be an actor, and all of a sudden, I'm in L.A. Isn't I'm trying that to... funny? Because that's what actors do, right? Yeah, go yeah. to L.A. yeah. And, and this guy, tables. obviously, in 1970, had his finger on the pulse. He knew <laughs> yeah. what was going on. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was in my head. Biker guy. I wrote that down. Do I have more here? And then, uh, Deepa Squally, the music teacher at RSS, I, after grade 12, I said, if I want to go into music, <clears throat> where would I go? And he said, if you want to go into piano, go to, you can go to UBC. But if you want to do any other instrument in the world, go to the States. He said, because they have so much money in the States for music, and they just throw it at you. And it just so happened that that year, there's a reciprocal agreement between Washington and British Columbia. So if you went to Washington, you would pay in-state tuition, which was much cheaper than a foreign student. And I got BC grants. I got student loans. Go Cascadia. Go Cascadia. So I went to Washington State in Pullman, Washington. In the Palouse, which is one of the most beautiful uh, geographical anomalies in the world. So I go there. I lasted for a year and a half, and then I ran out of money. So I bought my truck that summer, right? Working for Gordy in Lornex. The truck was purchased? 78. In Elkford or? In Elkford. Or, uh, no, in... Uh, Pullman or uh, Elkford? Kamloops. Uh, Kamloops. Logan, so Logan Lake. Lake. Logan, Logan Lake. Lake, gotcha. Then I go back. I do the my third semester would have been at September 78 and all the time my mom keeps saying we she has a good friend Jerry Sylvester who was a business partner of my father's when we moved to Warfield they had Blackline Paving Company Jerry Sylvester and my dad Blackline Paving Company up where the dumpy or you remember where the gaslight bar was you go up towards Glen Mary and turn left up that little vaguely the, the gas house. Yeah, the ga- gas house was in there. That up that road up at the top where I think the dump is now was their little office and yard. They had Blackline Paving. I don't know how long it lasted. Not very long. I thought Blackline Paving was still in business. Not the same company. I, I'm not um, sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, she 
kept on saying, so this guy, Jerry Sylvester, he started the Catholic, uh, whatever you call it, at UBC. That There's a Catholic kind of a school part of UBC. Okay. He started that not that long ago. Anyway, I think before that, he might have been the dean at Langara. And so he would tell my mom, he would say, there, there's a, this tremendous acting program, program at uh, Langara. And I would say, um, mom, it's a community college. I'm university material. <laughs> I don't do that community college stuff. That's right. So I lasted uh, till Christmas. So uh, and then I decided, okay, well maybe I'll try it. And so I sent in. Sorry, an, you lasted where till Christmas? At WSU. Oh, okay. Right, that, so, which is your third of four terms? Yeah. Well, third of probably it, it should have gone for four years, I imagine. Oh, okay. But I only did a year and a half. Okay. And I was starting to run out of money. Funnily enough. It seemed I had too much of it, but I had my truck down there. Of course, I ran out of money. So I applied, and then I auditioned. And I remember, actually, I remember the audition rather well. It was with Anthony Holland and Andy Mayton. And I had just done, not long before that, I did A Doll's House with the trail. I saw that. Whatever they were called. Ibsen? Yeah. I believe that's Ibsen, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it's Ibsen, I believe it is. <laughs> with uh, Yolanda McC- Kinley, who became that wasn't Chekhov, was it? <laughs> you asshole! I believe you'll find if you look into it. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I saw that though. I did, and it was pretty good too, actually. By an afro. Uh, I just—it's yeah, it's like one of the very earliest things I ever went to his theater to see. It's only because you were in it. There's no chance on this earth I'm going to see that. No, if you're especially not that show. This yeah. would have been yeah. after some of the light opera productions that you were in. Uh, yes, yes. You were in a f- two, three of those? Yes. Yeah. Yes. After, yes. And it, that's funny, I don't include those, but obviously I was, you know, I, I had this choir influence with my mother and church and all that. So, okay, Jersey Pain, first term. So that's, his, that's the whole prequel. And I started May of 1980 at Langara, first term. Okay. At that time, Langara was only began in '75, right? Like it, it was fresh and friendly. Started by Anthony Holland. Now you, you're saying Studio 58 started then, yeah. uh, but Langara as a college may have been going on for quite a bit longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what did they just do? They just did 50 years. First term, there's 16 of us. We do all the basic little things that you do. All the little initial exercises of knowing your body and your voice and, you know, your sort of first acting class and, like, there's a lot of kind of elementary stuff, but you got to go through it. But you, you realize fairly quickly that uh, these people can see things in you that you, like, they know your tricks if you're faking stuff and you think, how do you even know that? <laughs> but they, they knew, and you know, looking back. Anyway, so I, um, it was an all year round at that time, so I could do two years straight, and that's what I did. Not everybody could do that. Some people were asked to leave, to take time off, actually. They would say, um, you need to go out, get drunk, get fucked, and pay a hydro bill, and then come back. That's fairly direct. It is, I thought, too. You just need to grow up because they're all yeah. such puppies. I was 25 when I started the yeah, studio. So I was already been guy. out feeding and clothing yourself for a few years. Uh, so let me understand. Uh, you took two full years. Was it a three-year program? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. So that's you a, packed it in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because you could I'm, do summers. You, oh, okay. Because yeah. I thought it was just a two-year program. So first year, you're not getting like method acting and really deep stuff. Or maybe you are. Well, you would go through exercises. Nobody ever taught method acting, I don't think. The whole time you were there? Yeah. Uh, perhaps I'm sure it would have been referenced. Stanislavski method. And, <laughs> that's right, Stanislavski, we did, we certainly studied that. We also had to do, in that first term, we had to do a language and art history. And so I still have some of my French monologue, we had to do a monologue in French and we would break it down phonetically and then act it. But you had to, you broke it down phonetically and learned it phonetically. 
you know, you sort of had a sense of what it meant, but, you know, and we did that both for German and French. I remember that. Like Wow, so it's really just a bunch of meaningless noises that you had yep. to memorize. Yeah, yeah. and... That, some, that attached to some sort of theme that you then had to try to act out. Ooh, yeah. my, that would be rough. Because occasionally you'll get like a French or a, a German actor doing in English and actually not knowing the words, right? I, I didn't know that. I always thought that you would, like opera singers and all those guys, that they would end up knowing what every word meant because otherwise they couldn't say it properly. Like when they're mm -hmm. trying to convey whatever they're trying to convey, and if they have to say words... If they're just being a woman, I don't know, you know, just uh, it's going to come out crazy. Like, wow. Anyway, like I still have a testy wie still draußen, sie haben mit Saufen aufgehört in my head. And, uh, oh, uh, I'd love to have and, a native German speaker tell me whether what you just said, was that recognizable to you? Was, was that, did you, you know, know what, what he means? said? Do you know what it means when you say it? Die Nacht ist wie Milch. He's outside is a guard outside and inside a woman's being raped. And I don't know if he can hear it. I, I didn't read the play or who knows. But I say, is this video? Anyway, I don't the, know. The night. Why? That's all I know. The, 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 the night is like milk, I say, when I look up at the sky, I said, the denoct is female. And uh, the uh, French one was um, from Antigone, which I ended up doing uh, at uh, Stratford, actually, in the Young Company. Anyway, I, I won't. Too dwell. bad. I could have taken a stab at that one. Like at oh, if yeah, you yeah. said okay, it, uh, then I might I might be able to uh, say whether I could recognize it. Mais bon Dieu, essayez de comprendre trois. Il faut pourtant qu'il y en ait qui mènent la barque. Cela prend l'eau, le mat, crack, le vent, siffle. Oh wow! <laughs> Is la barque a ship? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, a well, boat, something, the boat, and the storm. Yeah, and the, ma and the, the mayor mass. does stuff. The, the cela prend l'eau means what? I don't know. The water um, was like glass. Cela prend. Anyway, mm. something about water. Water was everywhere. Anyway, and the siffles blow, the vent siffle, the Le wind blows. You know? <laughs> now that's pretty. If that's to you just a series of noises as opposed to words that you know, that's crazy to me that you can do that. Well, French, we would have had a little bit of knowledge of that, right? Yeah, Just but still, wow. Sorry. What else did we again. do? We probably had tap classes right from the beginning. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes, front of Payne Street. Oh, uh, <laughs> Bring us back, Skinny. Bring us back. One of the funniest things for me, whenever I think of it, oh, my God. He had these stupid tap things, and he'd always tap here, tap there. And then one day, he decided to give us a demo of his routine. He had to do a routine as part of your test to have you learned how to tap. And he did it on the concrete out right, right out in front of our place mm -hmm. where I park my motorcycle usually. And it involved the Niagara wheel. I remember that. The airplane. The airplane. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the most ridiculous looking thing. It was just like, like obviously technically challenging, right? Uh -huh. But it's just like a dancing bear. It's just the funniest thing. Fully thought, this is exactly what a dancing bear would look like if you got one to actually do tap. Part of it, it's of a different time. Because yeah. all those moves come probably from the 30s, 40s. And yeah. 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 Vaudeville. Yeah. Well, and, and Moby was a been... <laughs> big guy and he's all that hair. And... and he would have been a drunk dancing bear, oh. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> at Payne Street. And I just remember just absolutely split in the gut while he was doing it oh it's the funniest thing especially the niagara wheel the arms going around while he does tap stuff just ridiculous Jesus. and they were um, forgot all about that white bowling shoes yeah. or beige yeah that i had taps no. true tone taps applied to somehow i'm wondering if i did that myself or no i, I, I would i can't remember but i do remember those shoes and i remember you had <laughs> There was a question as whether the taps were going to work on those things, hmm. right? Whether you could attach them some. And I think they were true tone. They like, there's a make of tap. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, I do remember those. Good one, skinny. God. Yeah. That thing. That was funny. That's just like, I remember too, I had that motorcycle. This is not apropos Studio 58, but at the same time, to give you an indication of the bear impression. I was giving Moby a ride someplace in the back of my Honda 400, my Honda Hawk. And we we're coming up boundary, of course, it's uphill, and there's a stop at Grandview. 
And when we went to pull away, when the light came on at Grandview, we started to wheelie because uh-huh. the guy in the back weighed yeah. way more than the guy in the front. The <laughs> yeah. bike, bike front's just barely touching the ground as yeah. we get up over onto Grandview Highway. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is a dancer. This is a tap dancer. Yeah. But I remember I had my truck for my first term, and you get, a, you get assigned to a crew, and I was on publicity for my first term for what? I don't know if I was publicity for just one show because there probably would have been two or three shows a term that went on. And I had, it was, the show was Robber Bridegroom and I had Robber Bridegroom posters all over my truck. And then second term, I'm pretty sure at the end of second term, they decided to do a cherry orchard. Now it might be a little bit mixed up here because you didn't get on stage until third term for sure, but they needed some extras. Check off. <laughs> Check off. <laughs> I was not 100% sure. I was going, darn. You guys. Oh, that's... <laughs> Sorry, listeners, we're just knocking ourselves out in here today. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I got on stage as a, an extra, which is, you know, also because I was older oh. and bigger, probably, so they... I would have looked more like a soldier at the time. Well, you could make a sale. That whole business of sending them away to grow up for a semester makes a lot of sense to me. Because you're watching somebody on stage and you can see from a hundred yards away that they haven't got any experience with whatever it is they're supposed to be going through on the stage. Oh, right. The play, yeah. You know, yeah, they're just, straight, straight out of high school. Yeah. And you yeah. just, you just sort of think, oh my, this is ridiculous. This, this person... There's no chance they can actually feel any of these emotions because mm. they've never experienced. Whereas he's older, and the odds are pretty good that he's actually had some of this experience or yeah. something oh, close yeah. to it. You know what I mean? Well, I survived. I never got kicked out. It was the same with that World War. You guys did a couple of World War One things yeah. too, and it was the same thing. Some of the soldiers in there, like, of course, in the real war, they were young men, right? Very young men in some cases. But... There were some of the guys in the cast where you just thought, come on, come on, no way. Bill Croft was not like that. Bill Croft was also a mature student, sort of. Yeah. But he was in one of those, and he was convincing also, right? So when you say uh, you weren't kicked out, what's the kind of rate, like Mm -hmm. at a a regular school, like at BCIT or at a university, if you don't maintain a certain grade average, then you're going to get dropped. Mm Hmm. And is it like that at uh, Studio 58 or was it more like mm, they sit you down regardless of your grades? You're not really, this is not a thing for you and we won't be continuing. Like, yeah, and but but your grades would reflect that. But yeah. even though the grades would be, you know, they're so subjective. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, so they would probably so, all be low before you got the toss. So right? do you recall like of your whole first class, do they call a lot of them? Only four of us of the original 16 ever graduated. Oh, wow. And only Nadine and I were the only two people to graduate when I graduated in May of 82 from the original class. Okay, so a couple things. Uh, I'm surprised it's so small. So really 16 people in the entire year that you started with. But that would be every semester. So Sure. But yeah, that, so September that 16, sem- January yeah. 16, and probably gotcha. the beginning of summer 16. Okay, so that that's like small. So you're going to know a lot of those people, like where they ended up. and Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, And then only four of you completed, at least at the time that you completed. Yes. Now, a lot of people got kicked out of Studio 58 and went on to become fabulous actors. Oh, okay, okay. It's just that whatever... Timing wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, really, like, no, you know. No, like, as, as to what you were saying earlier, yeah. yeah. Not ready. And there might also be the, oh, so you kicked me out, huh? Yeah. I'm going to show you. There might be a little bit of that yeah. motivation. Yeah, for on. sure. Yeah. Oh, you hear? Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few, actually. Third term, yeah. And so I got on stage, and because Anthony Holland was in charge, and he came from the Bristol Old Vic and was a swords, we we had broadswords, man. We he he we did fencing. Fencing wow. was one of our because it was him, right? So we had the whole 
deal, but he would do broadsword demonstrations. <laughs> oh, it was fun. Wow. Uh, yeah, but so we did fencing, which uh, was appropriate, but probably more appropriate because he was very into uh, plays. Well, Shakespeare, obviously, are going to involve the swords, but he, we did so many British plays. It was a I lot re- of... don't recall that so clearly, but okay. A lot of... Well, not a lot then, but shortly thereafter, the kids were coming up and saying, well, "What are we? Why are we doing all this British stuff? We, you know, what's that gonna?" And they started complaining, which I never even thought you could even do. What complain? You know, no, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, there's a ton of Alan Akeborn and oh, uh, you know, who is that other? There's a really a Somerset mom, Edward Edward Albee. Is he English? Oh, skinny, that that guy up there. Zoo story. Oh, okay. Where's right. he from? Famous American. American. New York. He had me. Uh, but I, yeah. Well, no, I didn't. I was just as a name I could remember. There was stuff done. Mm. Yeah, so we did. I mean, and, you know, I could go into details about all the stories. In sometime in 81, I wrote, we did, I think this is in fourth term, we did this little silly little sketch. You did your own kind of show. And what we did was we did a portion of Midsummer Night's Dream that was only the fairies and Titanian bottom. Oh, fuck, it was fun. Do you remember Chris Perrin and me as these two little fairies? And we used to, we made up little, we used to, we had feather dusters and we'd come in sort of prancing and going, meep, meep, beep, 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 beep. And that was our, and like, oh, God, we had fun. But anyway, that was a precursor because that would have been Catherine Shaw, our acting teacher, doing that. And then the next year, she produced Midsummer Night's Dream, set in 1965 as a musical, and got me to write the music. So that was a huge thing in, oh, God, that was a crazy fun show. It was great. That was a great show, too. Yeah, I really enjoyed that show, too. I did see that, and I remember that. Did not know you did the music. No, there was some of the music was actually rock and roll. Well, yeah, I mean, we stole the finale was basically Barbara Ann, ba ba yeah. ba. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and yeah. but uh, yeah, I penned the other ones. I mean, it was nice. all one five four stuff, real simple rock and roll. Sure. Stuff. But sure. you know, it's like um, it was great. It's good enough for a remount decades later. That's right. Damn it. And I remember not it was only so funny. Jesus, we uh, we did that. Me and Susan did that in um, Dawson Creek with the community. <laughs> did you? Like she sold it. She she says <laughs> we can in our spare time we could do this community project. So we did it up there. <laughs> I went to. I didn't, I didn't remember that at all. I went to. I did the um, Shakespeare Fest in Armstrong. It's a a summer annual summer thing in no in summerland famous and 400 kids go there for a week from bc and it's all shakespeare and it was great but i met this music teacher from vernon and i told her that i had written this and she did a version of it too (laughs) that that show had some legs wow did a version of your show yeah well that music yeah. yeah 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 That's good, actually, because it was fun. I do remember seeing it the first time and thinking, oh, this is pretty fun. And then the last show we did in while I was there, my graduating show was House of Blue Leaves, and the lead guy plays the piano. And I thought, I'm going to get this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> Bill Croft got it. Bill Croft. <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> and he didn't play the piano, but... They set it up. They just put a put two pianos back to back, two little uprights back to back, and you oh. couldn't see the other one. But it so was, it was always a duet supposed to be. Well, well, it was uh, somebody he pretended to play what the person on the other side was actually playing. Right? It was all simple stuff too. <laughs> but no, I had I just, had just evaluating that remark. Oh, so hang on. So is this because Bill Croft was unable to play it himself? So they set it up so that someone yes, could stay yeah. behind. Okay, which would happen in tons of shows. Sure. Right? And yeah, the other absolutely. the other piano is yeah. what on the other side of a curtain that divides yeah. the two pianos. Yeah, it's, yeah. B- it's literally backstage. Yeah. But you know, I mean, who am I kidding? I had the up until then, I had the best roles going there. I got those roles in. Uh, the two army shows, which yeah. are great roles. At the same time, or right after that, 
I was the stage manager for Les Belles Sur, which was all women, right? Like I was a busy little puppy that, that was a summer too, wasn't it? I can't remember that at all. I remember Les Belles Sur, but I don't remember what time of year it was. Or I had pretty sketchy memories from there. My whole focus was getting my name in the credits. That was it. Oh, right. that's right. Care what he's doing. That's right. I just, and you did manage I did it. manage yeah. it, yes. More than once. Soundtrack, right? Saw. Les Belles Sur. <laughs> was it that? Uh, Stan Getz was, was that the opening was music. For? Oh, okay. oh which, which he provided. Yeah. yeah. His dad's old album. Yeah. 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 Basically, yeah. Just to get his name in the program. <laughs> I, I think there was one time that I just said, can you put Pat Lober in the program? Like he, he hadn't <laughs> done it. I just want to get so how did that make you feel having your name in it the made program? It made me feel like I belonged in my own house whenever there was a party. Excellent. Didn't you see my name in the credits of that uh, show? It was in the yeah. show. We live here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of fun because basically it mocked how seriously everybody else took uh, getting roles, getting their names in and everything else because they were hmm. actual guys. It was a real delight for me when the Shed Dogs made it to the credit. Yeah. I was yeah, uh, yeah. in the uh, humans. Oh, what, right. That was, what was a that Stephen Karam play, was it not? <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> what was it for? Why, why were we, we did, what were we, oh, because you were just a member and you made His sure bio. that appeared in your bio. That's yes. what it was. Yeah. Oh, for right, the humans. Right. And yeah. that was really early Shed Dogs, was it not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very early. Yeah. yeah it was probably before episode 10. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, I mean, also, also, um, Bruce Ward was my agent and he got me in my sixth term or fifth term at studio 58. He signed me up before I even got out of there. Nice. So I didn't have to look for an agent, which yeah. was, that's one of the biggest things that young actors have trouble with. Like, oh, how do I get an agent? You know, how can I right, get yeah. him to come out and see my shows and. I didn't have to do that. That's awesome. Blessed, blessed. So any major end of year parties, like when you're, you're now going to graduate and you're in theory, you might not see some of these people again, just kind of fizzled or like, yeah, there was, I don't, is there a graduation ceremony? Yes. Which I didn't even tell my mom about. Right. Like I didn't, I, I started, <laughs> what's well, just a piece of paper, mom? Cause that's all I kept yeah, on. I, I yeah. kept on getting told that all the time. Well, you don't really get anything, you, you know, that doesn't, it's a piece of like, you got to still, you got to do what you got to do. But it was quite important to my mother. What do you mean you graduated? What, why didn't, yeah. why didn't I know about that? You know, I would have. I don't remember any kind of thing. Do you? I don't remember any kind no, of it was thing like at a, the end. No, right. I don't even think there was any kind of a party unless you know we were at the golf course drinking wine or something yeah yeah but i do remember uh we did have a huge party at the end of midsummer night's dream oh maybe at the house keller no no at the studio keller was living with us so would that be you have gone by that yeah. time yeah yeah i have you know i can't have been there all that long I would have, I'll bet you I was visiting constantly playing Ladybug, but I don't think I actually slept there for more than a couple, three months, I don't think. Anyway, I don't know if you remember, Skinny, but me and Keller uh, made a cake for the party and we actually matched the set. And the set was the scaffolding with uh, platforms, right? So we made little cakes, you know, like uh, 10 by 6 made three of them and we put we built some little scaffolding and we actually made this quite presentable cake i thought and we go into the big room uh, 63 they call it a63 right behind the stage and we're having a party it's the closing night and everything we had sparklers and we put sparklers on the cake and lit the sparklers or people had sparklers didn't the fire department come full regalia? Oh, man. The alarms started going off, and it's like one in the morning. Wow. And, of course, the head of Langara gets a phone call. Anthony Holland would have gotten a phone call. Catherine Shaw would have been there because it was <laughs> closing night. But they came in, axes, man. They were ready. This yeah. Something's quite serious. And, oh, we got quite a bit of shit about that. It was just, you know, sparklers. We didn't, we, no, no, there's no booze here. <laughs> of course, you could smoke too. You could smoke indoors then too, right? Yeah, you sort of think, why wouldn't that set it off? 
Like uh, the sparklers are something. give off smoke, but you get 60 people, 30 of whom are smoking, and that doesn't do it, you know? Like, really? So next episode, we're going to hear about Stratford off Avon, not, like not on Avon. Did you, okay, that's not that's not no, even. No, it's actually on fun. Avon. That's not even. <laughs> What's funny? Funny. What's funny was the ringing silence after you dropped that's that. Not one. Well, yeah, it was Everybody, an attempt of saying it wasn't the British Stratford; it was the Canadian. It was one. the Canadian, yeah. but the little river is the Avon. They literally have the oh, Avon you're kidding. in Ontario. Wow, because there's like six Avons in in England and in, uh, yeah. in the UK. There's a London in Ontario too. Yes, I've heard. <laughs> so I've heard. And is, Strat- is Stratford just off of London there in Ontario? Not that far away. There you go. Okay, so anyway, we're going we're gonna to hear more about that next episode. Looking forward to that. The Stratford will be another one like this. Excellent. Excellent. Looking I forward th- to it. Were you not going to drop the pearl at Avon? It just means river. Avon means river. So the Avon River is literally translates as river, river. And that's why wreck it for me skin <laughs> and and because in the uk people really didn't travel much right like yeah. 50 miles was oh oh that's a long yeah. trip live and die in the same and so village. all the locals would just call it the avon yeah and that's why there's six different avon rivers of course i call them the avon but i think the british would call them avon do they i believe so i call them avon too and avon I calling for, i hope for cosmetics every time We've come to the end again of another fabulous episode. I know you're crushed. I know you're disappointed. This peppy theme music that's playing right now, it's supposed to make you feel better about us being finished for another episode. But don't worry. Don't worry. There'll be more. Honest, there will. I'm not just going to quit. We'll especially not quit if you send us listener mail telling us to not quit. That'd, that'd for sure guarantee that we won't. Not that I'm blackmailing anybody or anything, but just keep that in mind. And while you're busy trying to decide how to respond to that, make sure that you're paying attention to being safe, keeping yourself happy, taking care of the people around you, so that you're available to come back and listen to us again, as we'll be available here with another episode sooner rather than later. Till then, take care. See you. And this is RJ, and we promise to do listener mail next episode. That's correct. We have had some absolutely fabulous listener mail, actually pretty rewarding listener mail. And we'll cover that next time. Honest, we will. Okay, bye.